Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce our speaker today, the very handsome Dr. Sean Gertzenberger, who is the Dean of the UNLV School of Community Health Sciences. Yeah, there wasn't enough on here about it, so he said add that, so that's good. Uh, and as you know, he's also uh, taking over the double job of working with Dr. for Dr. Barbara Atkinson in the medical school. And I'm not going to read his whole resume. He was uh, born and raised in Wisconsin, and he lived there until he took off on a very long and impressive educational uh, career. And he's been at UNLV now for 20 years, so he knows a lot of secrets, so I'm sure we'll hear some good stuff today. So please welcome Dr. Sean Gertzenberger. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Let me make sure this works as it says up here. First, before I begin, I just want to thank you all for what you do in Rotary, uh, impacting, changing our community, uh, influencing the young individuals uh, that are growing up in our community and are going to be future leaders is absolutely critical. And it's a, a vision and a mission that we share in the School of Community Health Sciences as well as at the School of Medicine. So what I want to do today is just talk a little bit um, about what we do in community health sciences. And there's really three pieces that I want to talk to about this. A little bit, what does it look like? What does community health do? Uh, how does it impact uh, our health and our health care system? A little bit about some of the projects and individuals that we have in our unit. And then finally about some of the students and just kind of pull all that back together to show how community health sciences uh, is part of this whole health care continuum that we look at. Often when we think about health care, we don't consider health until we end up at the doctor. And that's part of the problem with our system in the first place. We need to be looking at from before we're born to all the way up till after we're long gone, how we can influence and impact the health of us, the people around us, our community, and future generations. And that's one of the things that we really promote um, in public health. So we really look to, uh, to study lots of different events to help um, and understand people. So public health and community health, which you'll hear me use interchangeably today, really look at, like it indicates, this higher level. How do we help our populations? How do we help our communities? You got a great example of public health in action with polio. Okay, so if you look back in the literature, there's some wonderful information about smallpox where we did the same thing, where we went around planet Earth and through targeted and inter integrated interventions with public health and medical professions, we actually eliminated a disease from planet Earth, and there are not that many of those that we have eliminated, unfortunately. And I think polio is just another great way to look at that. So just to remind you of what community health and public health does, we have a picture of the crowd. So that's going to be a little bit of a theme for my next few slides, that this is you, this is I, this is your friends, family, relatives, and how we are all part of this larger community, but there's individual problems that each of us face. So one of the key things that we want to talk about here is... Let's not wait till the doctor has to see us to solve our problem. Let's think about preventing those problems in the first place. 
much like we're talking about with polio. Why wait for individuals to get polio when we can proactively go out and prevent it? That goes for trips and falls, it goes for nutrition, it goes for obesity, and tons of other things that we impact as human beings in our environment. And this is really where my heart and my passion lies. So you could probably look at this or, or maybe you're maybe not read that from the back. Um, but why are we waiting to become sick or injured before we start thinking about health care? We have to turn this around and start thinking about how can we not be injured? How can I really stay out of the hospital or the trauma or the ER rooms? And, and what can I do to make that happen? And that's really where the interface between public health and medicine and other areas come together. So just a few statistics, you can see a few of these. Um, each of these statistics that I put up here are not random in any way, shape, or form. They're actually projects that we have faculty in our School of Community Health Sciences that are reaching, that are, are researching these out in our local community. So you'll see a few of these, like about 12% of our high school um, individuals in high school are already overweight or obese. Okay? There's some other data what they've done. Our kindergarten health survey, which is done, we'll talk about a little bit later, it's almost 30% of our kids are entering kindergarten already overweight or obese. Okay, last time I checked, kindergartners don't go to the grocery store and shop. Right? So when you think about that, where is that food coming from? How are we working with our environment, uh, with our community, with our transportation, with our parents, with our educational systems to provide healthy and nutritious food, to provide environments that are conducive to exercise, this is what public health and community health does, and we're very excited about that. You can see on the side over here that um, we have about 7.5%, so a little bit cut off on the side of our high school students there, report regularly using tobacco. And so we definitely don't want those folks to start smoking when they're in high school. Okay? Just looking at Nevada, 26%, a little bit cut off, just a screen functioning thing, but I'll fill you in on those numbers if you can't see them. Um, it's not 6%, maybe that's our optimistic goal where we would like to get, but 26% of adults in Nevada are overweight or obese. We know that leads to hypertension, uh, other chronic diseases that are preventable if we really start to think about how these can be integrated. 28% of our folks have hypertension already in Nevada. Okay, so we know in Nevada, we're typically on the top of the bad lists and on the bottom of the good lists when it comes to health and health-related outcomes. And that's something we absolutely have to change and we have to flip. There's a lot of ways we can do that. Just a few other statistics for you. About 16% on the left-hand side of Nevada women report they don't have a primary care physician. 16%, which is a tremendous number. Okay, I'll put on my med school hat for a minute because I get to do that a lot these days because I'm the acting dean of the medical school. We are 3,000 physicians short in this community of the national average. Okay, so if we added 3,000 physicians tomorrow, we would only be average with respect to the patient-to-physician ratios, which is absolutely staggering. So not only do we need to work on prevention, we all also need to work on quality care and bringing health care providers into this community, and these all go hand in hand. Um, but 51% of Hispanic women reporting they have no primary care doctor. Over half of the Hispanic community does not have a primary care physician, uh, at least that are female. Those are staggering numbers. How can you get care? How can you do prevention? Uh, and how can we cut things off that we know are completely preventable diseases? And so let's switch gears a little bit to men and men's health. Okay, 86% of all men actually report using seatbelts. 
right? Maybe a few of the other ones lied, right? So there, you can do the math there, uh, but still, there, that's a large percentage of people that don't put on their seatbelts, which we know is another big public health initiative, and we've passed laws and all sorts of things to make sure that people just click their seatbelts on, which seems really simple to do, but there are still many people that don't do it. Many of you probably grew up riding around where there weren't any seatbelts, bouncing around in back seats of trucks, you know, chewing on lead-based paint, whatever you did, um, all sorts of things that happened in those days. We now, we now know better that those are things we probably shouldn't be doing anymore. Okay? So we know that 24% of all the cancer diagnoses in men in Nevada are for prostate cancer. It's one of those unfortunate things as we get older and older and older, the, the probability of having and being diagnosed with prostate cancer goes up. So just, just some statistics. This is, you know, looking at this crowd when you're walking around seeing people in rooms. This is the, these are the issues that we currently face in our community. This is a civilized society where these things are preventable, but yet our statistics are atrocious. Okay, so just a few other interesting ones um, for you here. If I can get that one to go. There we go. So minority health. This is another area where we don't do particularly well. Um, in minority populations in Nevada, they're two times more likely to have teenage pregnancies if, you're, if you come from a minority group. And 80% of the total number of cases of tuberculosis occur in people that are racial and ethnic minorities. Again, things we know that we can address, we can prevent if we start to look at healthcare as this continuum from before we are born to long after we are gone. What can we to improve, do to improve our health and our welfare? So just to put some of the statistics out there, you've probably heard of these, a lot of these in Nevada in the past, and it's not a real cheery story. But nonetheless, just some issues around Hispanic health. We know we have a, an enormous Hispanic population here. It's up around 30% now for Nevada. And so that's a tremendous number of individuals that are absolutely critical that need specialized care in many areas. 31% of all the uh, low birth weight babies, or 31% of all the babies born to Hispanic women are of low birth weight. And so that could be to nutrition, it could be to lots of things, or it could be that half of them don't have any care. Remember when we had the previous statistics, so they're not getting seen by a physician. Prenatal vitamins, prenatal care, nutrition, those things that we know are so important. This is critical for our community to improve. 35% uh, of Hispanic women were unable to see a doctor because of the costs. That's from 2012 and 2016. That's after the Affordable Care Act was passed, right? And so these are things that are still real problems right here in our community. So I told you we kind of have three or four parts. Um, so I want to just talk about some of the statistics, um, and, and we'll wrap that up in a minute. But in children's health, you know, children are really the face of public health. If we can't get our children's health issues correct, we're going to have some pretty major issues down the road. We know that infant mortality rate is about 5.2 out of 1,000 in Nevada, and it's even higher for some of our minority uh, populations like African Americans. These are statistics for a first world country, not a third world country. When you look at these, it's staggering. If you didn't know this was Nevada, you might guess this was another country somewhere when you see these stats. Uh, about 71% of children aged 19 to 35 months year old in Nevada who are immunized. So we still have almost 30% of our population that is not getting their immunizations. 
which is a tremendous number, and there's a tremendous cost for that not happening that we will see later down the road from preventable diseases. So there's some things that we can do together, and this is where I keep coming back to that continuum of care. There's small groups of individuals that can always make a difference, like the Rotary Clubs, like the volunteer organizations, and there's a tremendous number of these in our community, and I don't think I've ever seen them more motivated uh, and more activated than I have in the last month, given all the things that have happened in Las Vegas, Nevada. Everyone was out, everyone was helping, everyone was willing to make a difference. It was really a, a phenomenal thing to see. I had hope for humanity that we can actually act like we're supposed to act in a civilized country. Um, if we could just do that every day, we probably wouldn't have many of the problems we face today. So this is just the face and the names of some of the folks uh, within the School of Community Health Sciences. We're uh, the youngest school, I think, over at UNLV. We're only now about 12 years old. And we slowly grew from a faculty of one back in 2004. That would be me. Um, when I drafted the proposal to start the School of Public Health, uh, Community Health Sciences, we had a few name, chains in, uh, name changes in there. Since that time, we've grown to over now uh, 100 faculty and staff, about 31 full-time faculty researchers that just do some tremendous work and impact our community. That group alone has about 80 affiliation agreements where all of our students are required to go out and work with community partners like yourself and do a 200-hour internship on a real live project. That can be in hospitals, it could be at United Way, it could be at Three Square Food Bank, it could be at the Southern Nevada Health District. Just obviously with over 80 affiliation agreements, I'm not going to rattle them all off, but they impact the community in tremendous ways, many of which end up getting hired by those organizations and then remaining in our community to make a difference. So that's something that we're really proud of. This school last year alone had 58 unique grants that were funded, totaling about $6.5 million dollars and they published 101 unique peer-reviewed journal articles in the scientific literature talking about advancing the health and the welfare of all of those different areas um, that I talked to about you earlier. So just a couple of uh, what we like to call our hero shots and real specific projects that some of our faculty are working on. With the diversity that we have in our community, we know that we also need to have that diversity reflected in our healthcare. So this is Dr. Jay Shen, uh, my associate dean, but he works on uh, bringing in people from other countries and providing cultural competencies in our healthcare system. So we can speak to you in the correct language that maybe is your first language. We can understand the issues in your communities and help you advance that mission along. Uh, so this is just one of the areas that, that he works in. Um, similarly, I have uh, Mr. Joseph Greenway. He's got, he's a little bit pixelated there specifically because those are zeros and ones. He's our data guy. Um, and so uh, if, you, if you can see that, they're all zeros and ones. He's binary. Um, but nonetheless, what he does is he collects all the hospital information from all hospitals in the, in the state of Nevada. And he looks for what we kind of candidly refer to as never events, things that should never happen, a trip and fall in the hospital, a wrong medication was administered, we did something or we had a hospital accident. And so he works to help reduce the number of, of these never incidences that are happening in hospitals so that we don't come home and have some atrocious thing or a wrong medication or a wrong dose given in different areas or a trip and fall that could be prevented. These are just the applied things that community health does and public health does to improve our communities. 
Okay? If you look real closely at that photo, it's really super cool. Hopefully none of you do this, right? So distracted driving, you can see, you know, he's shaving, he's talking on the phone, he's got a drink in one hand, he, he could be putting on makeup, he could be adjusting a hundred other things, but, you know, uh, Dr. Bungham is one of our faculty members that really looks at distracted driving. How do we drive this message home that people shouldn't be doing this when you're driving a several thousand pound vehicle down the road at 80, 90 miles an hour, you probably ought to be looking ahead, not looking at your cell phone. And so this is just some of the, some of the work that we do that has direct impacts on the community. So the thing I love about community health and public health, I can explain to anybody why this is relevant and important. You don't have to guess. Um, so this one too, um, this is Dr. Anthony Chen. He works on air and air quality, so he's blowing away there a little bit, if you get that. And uh, he has uh, several air quality monitoring systems. He's got a personalized air quality monitor that he works on. We also have a laboratory that does uh, mold and pollen monitoring actually in the schools, and it does it on a daily basis. So we collect the information on air and air quality. We post this up to a real-time website. So if you have a child that's asthmatic or has an allergy or other things, we can know what the pollen count is. How many of you love the mulberries and the olive trees around here? Right? You know what I'm talking about? So we actually have a website that monitors this at the schools, and you can inform your parents, you can inform the kids that you might want to be careful today or avoid activity in certain areas to help them prevent some of the things that shouldn't happen in the first place. The amount of cost and dollar values we spend on ER visits for asthma attacks is absolutely tremendous, and it is completely avoidable if managed correctly. So... This is a little quote there. It says, uh, you know, that you can read on there that it, it just, this is the center of what we do is we try and improve the quality of life for other people. And so, you know, really what we do is there's no better exercise than reaching down and lifting up other people. And so this is the heart of public health. This is why we're into it because we care about people and we care about others. I joke everybody in public health is a bunch of chronic do-gooders. And uh, I would argue that Rotarians probably fall into that category uh, reasonably well too, which is why I always like to come here. Just a few other quick projects I want to tell you about. Um, this one I'm specifically proud of because it's one that I launched. Um, it's a, a project called the Landlord-Tenant Hotline. So one of the things that we have issues with is many of our people rent homes or rent apartment complexes. When there are health and health-related issues in those homes, there's really nobody to call. You can call the landlord, yell at them. If they don't care, you're stuck with it. So we created a, a, a landlord-tenant hotline where individuals who rent can call in and get advice. They can have the health district come out. They can review if there's eminent health dangers that they're going to see in that environment. And accordingly, they can get them fixed and addressed. So we get a tremendous number of calls. We get almost 2,000 calls a year into this hotline, and it was started by a group of people. It's now run by one student that actually triages all these calls, refers them out to the health district, Nevada Legal Services. So there's one staff person. Many of these things are habitability issues. No air conditioning, right? If you've been here June, July, and August, which all of you have, and your air conditioning goes out, We've been to homes where there's individuals sitting in their bathtubs filled with water, blowing fans on themselves so that they don't die. And I'm not joking about that. There are serious, serious issues that we've had to deal with. So 
Um, so most of this we find within a phone call or one or two referrals, we can get about 78 or 80 percent of those resolved very quickly with just a phone call to a landlord or legal services or somewhere else. So again, just another way that public health and community health works in our environment. Um, our Nevada Institute for Children's Research and Policy just does phenomenal work in the community. Um, they run several programs at our local hospitals. One of these is the Infant Safe Sleep Program. So new moms and dads get your kids. You're pretty clueless in the first place, but they don't know anything about how do you put a kid in a crib, what should be in there, what shouldn't be in there, how should they sleep, what should we avoid to do because we can avoid kids having SIDS or the sudden infant death sy syndrome. There's overwhelming evidence if those children sleep on their back. We don't put a bunch of stuffed animals. We don't put all sorts of things that might cause strangulation hazards in those cribs that this is much less likely to happen. It's preventable. Um, we also run the only um, chapter for Nevada, Pre Prevent Child Abuse Nevada. And unfortunately, this team also reviews all the child death incidents in Nevada. So any child that dies under the age of one gets a, review, a full review on what happened, whether that's a drowning, SIDS, or some other really horrible or unfortunate event. They investigate each of those and then try and bring back policies that could have prevented that from happening. Um, so it's a little disheartening, but it's also a really, really valuable group uh, that's doing important work. Um, so here's a little quote I just want to read to you. It says, uh, to keep the body in good health is a duty. Otherwise, we shall not be able to keep our mind um, strong and clear. And so I think you're all, well, we've all been sick, right? When you're sick, that's pretty much all you can think about. And it's very hard to contribute and give back to society when you're worried about your personal health. So it's absolutely critical to do that. So just a little bit about our school. We offer about seven degrees. I'm not going to bore you with all the statistics. Um, but we offer degrees in public health, bachelor's, master's, PhD, and healthcare administration. So we have a bachelor's, master's, and you can also get a PhD in that. So we have people that administer hospitals, long-term care facilities, work in all your nonprofit organizations all over the valley, a bunch of chronic do-gooders, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but really exciting careers. Our students get snapped up very, very quickly, um, and they're in prominent positions in many of our, our local organizations here in the community. Um, so, you know, each year we place and have a large internship day that talks about that. Okay, so just one last quote for you. You know, it's a little bit, uh, as you're getting ready to eat your dessert, I want to drop this one on you. So it says, exercise is a celebration of what your body can do, okay, not a punishment for what you ate. <laughs> okay, and so that's just keeping in that whole prevention theme, right? And so really just thinking about that continuum of care. So uh, thank you so much for having me here today and just to talk a little bit about community health and public health and what we do. It's kind of one of the, the best kept mysteries uh, of the educational world. When you're not getting sick, when you eat in a restaurant, when you have a safe place to walk, when you have fresh food on your table, uh, when you've got an immunization, when you didn't catch a disease, when you didn't fall down, when you had fresh water to drink, when your toilet flushed and went to a place where it's supposed to go, thank a public health professional, because those are many of the things that they do. So. Right over here, question. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that. It's really interesting. I, I didn't know that existed at school. Uh, I'm, I'm aware that a large number of universities have uh, departments and courses in uh, environmental health sciences. And uh, I just wonder if you could comment as to, 
either overlap or, or differences. It seemed to be more on the preventative uh, yes. side. Yes. So within our School of Community Health Sciences, I didn't give you the organizational structure, there's really five major units. There's a unit in healthcare administration, social behavioral health, biostatistics, epidemiology, and, health, and uh, environmental and occupational health. So that is one of the core areas. So when you get a degree in public health, you have to pick one of those focal areas. So your environmental health specialists, those are a lot of your food inspectors. They do green pool programs. They do vector control. You hear Bill Gates talking about malaria. Malaria is, of course, a, a mosquito uh, disease that's transmitted through mosquitoes. So we control our mosquito populations here. We do offer a degree in public health with an emphasis in environmental and occupational as well as a PhD in that area. So, and we work with other programs in biology and sciences that, that do that as well. Uh, when you said there's a lack of immunization of a lot of children, mm -hmm. is that with children born outside of hospitals or is it a responsibility of the hospitals to see that the child gets immunized? So that's a multi-part question and answer. So um, of course the hospitals like to promote that. We do educate the parents to do that. And being immunized is actually a requirement uh, unless you receive a waiver to enter into the Clark County School District. So one of the groups that really has done, I think, the, the tremendous amount of work in this area are the school nurses, uh, really bringing in and immunizing those folks. The Southern Nevada Health District does a great job. Your local health care providers, your pediatricians, all are working to get them immunized. So like anything in public health, it should be a, a group effort. Um, trying to make that happen. So I think it's a little bit of all those things. Thanks for being here. Uh, at the national level, there's a lot of discussion about op opioid uh, addiction and so forth. What's the situation here in Las Vegas? Yeah, there's a lot of new statistics uh, out that unfortunately we have a, a tremendous issue with opioid and opioid addictions. Uh, I know that this is a huge priority for the, the Nevada State Health Division. They're putting a lot of money and time and resources into educational interventions, into, into counseling uh, and other areas to try and reduce the impact of the, the opioid crisis. I don't remember the numbers off of my top of my head, but there's quite a few of those out there. And there's a couple of websites you can look to to, to acquire some of those numbers. Um, there's one called uh, Healthy Southern Nevada, and there's a lot of statistics on there that you can go on. It's at the Southern Nevada Health District, um, and you can see some of the statistics there. I don't remember that one off the top of my head, but we are definitely not immune from that one. I'm guessing you have a link for the public to access your uh, uh, pollution uh, index. Yeah, there's actually a link up on our website, and then uh, we coordinate that with the Environmental Protection Agency. And so those, if you go on to uh, just type in Community Health Sciences or Public Health at UNLV, you'll see some air quality links, and uh, there's some real-time data that go up there that, that families and patients and the community can use. Yeah. Other questions? Eric? So you have really lots of great information here and a lot of research done. The number one thing I see is how do you, you, you teach people, you educate people, how do you actually get them to commit to maintaining a healthier lifestyle? Because that's the thing. We all know we should eat right. We all know we should exercise. We should do it often. But right. your numbers say most people don't. <laughs> right. So how do, you, how do you actually make someone take the steps to do it and really encourage that besides just yes. you know, bombarding them with information? So let me qualify that as I would have a Nobel Prize if I figured that one out. <laughs> Um, but there are certain steps and there are processes that we know documented in the scientific literature that work. One of the other areas uh, I was asked about environmental health, we have another area called social and behavioral health. And that really looks at how do we encourage people to make 
lifestyle changes and how to increase their healthy behaviors and change their environment to do that. So there's many ways you can do that. Some of that is through education. A lot of that is through design. I do a lot of work with healthy homes. And so we can actually design your homes and make them safer so you can't trip and fall, so they don't have mold in them. They don't have lead-based paint. They don't have rodents and insects and pests. Uh, you don't get electrocution hazards and your air conditioners work um, so that pedestrians can cross the street safely. We can do laws and policies. We passed the Clean Indoor Air Act so you could actually go out and have a dinner in this town without having to suck somebody else's cigarette smoke. That was a monumental landmark piece of legislation. Um, we passed policies that added fluoride to drinking water. Um, there's still a group of the world that thinks that's a, a brain control conspiracy theory. Um, there's another group that says it's just better for oral health. I happen to be on the second side. Um, but, you know, there's, there are policies, there's behaviors, there's environmental modifications, and there's healthcare interventions. So, ironically enough, and we need data to do all of that. So what I just did is I described to you the five departments that make up a school of community health sciences. We work on all those areas to improve and change those behaviors. So great question. It was like, I've, like you fed me that one. I appreciate it. So. Oh, the opioid incident one. He looked that up for me. 5.5 uh, per 1,000 emergency room visits in Nevada were the result of uh, opioid heroin dependence per 1,000. So about five, five to six of every single person that comes into emergency room is for an opioid dependency related issue. Yeah. Just, just a comment. A third of the people in this room, a third, you have diabetes but you don't know it yet. So, following through with that, anytime you go to the doctor when blood is drawn, you want an A1C, and then you will know for sure. A1C. So, it is absolutely critical for you to take control of your own health care and ask those right questions and be informed when you go see your health care providers. Uh, but it's also just as important when you go to the grocery store, when you choose whether to drive your car to your mailbox or actually walk, um, or, you know, what you do, the air you breathe, the environment you live in, all these things determine your health. So we need to get people thinking along that a little more inclusive uh, way. So uh, I'm told, last question. Among your other duties is acting dean of the new medical school. If <laughs> yep. you don't have enough to do, uh, the first class is in. How's it going, and how's the capital campaign for your uh, building going? Uh, good questions, and thank you for asking me that at the end. So um, <laughs> there's... Uh, yeah, so I have a lot of hats. I just spin them around. And uh, so the first class was admitted. There were 60 students in there. Uh, very proud to say uh, about 50% of those were from minority and underrepresented populations. Many of them are first-time college students. All of them have an affiliation to Nevada. They're either from Nevada, graduated from Nevada, have family in Nevada, in hopes that they will stay here and provide quality care down the road. Uh, we're working on our second class of admits, I can tell you we have over a thousand applications for that next class of 60, which is phenomenal. Uh, and the last part of your question was the fundraising piece. Um, so as many of you are aware, we did receive, uh, there was a matching grant from the state that was a $25 million um, award, but we had to find $25 million donation in the community, which we did find through an anonymous donor. So we have the first $50 million uh, in hand. 
to, to start that school. Um, we we're planning that building out. Obviously, it's going to cost a lot more than $50 million. Um, we've been working with donors um, all over the community. Uh, we've got some tremendous feedback on that, and hopefully we'll have some, some good announcements for you on that very quickly down the road. The philanthropy from this community has been phenomenal. The first 60 students all have free four-year scholarships to attend medical school thanks to this community and the philanthropy that's done here. We have 28 of those funded for the second class. And so we've been working to try and get all that second class covered, but we're not quite there yet. So good question. Thank you. Thank you. Don't go away. Don't go away. Thank you for speaking to us, Sean. And, and as a token of our appreciation, we'd like to present you with our Share What You Can Award, where we will present a meal to a homeless vet in your name. So. Outstanding. So a meal to a homeless vet is another place uh, near and dear to my heart. I'm actually the president of the board for Three Square Food Bank as well. And so uh, providing a meal, awesome. Yeah, one more hat. Why not? So uh, thank you all for having me. I appreciate your time. Sure. Thank you. Thank you all. And as I always say, Rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go forth and enjoy Nevada Day weekend. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.